This edition of the Promo Cowboys podcast is brought to you by bourbon, beer, and bar pretzels, and by my TV industry expose slash crime novel, Promo Cowboy. It's the year 2000, and a serial strangler is stalking promo and marketing professionals all over New York City. Freelance producer Promo Cowboy has to act fast, keep cool, and face his greatest fears to save his career, his friends, and maybe his life. Promo Cowboy by Barry Fitzsimmons, author of Life Askew, available at Amazon, Kindle, and your finer bookstores. Okay, welcome to the podcast. Promo Cowboys took a couple weeks off to enjoy the holidays, and we're back with our first edition of 2017, one that I think is kind of special. Today I'm talking with Joe Saba and Stuart Winter, the founders of Video Helper, one of my favorite boutique music libraries. Now, interviewing two guys at the same time can be confusing. That is if you don't know their voices. I'll do my best to keep it clear, but Joe and Stu are known to occasionally step on each other, you know, finish each other's sentences, that sort of thing. So for starters, this is Joe Saba. I'm Joe Saba. I'm co-founder of Video Helper. And this is Stuart Winter. And I'm Stu Winter. I am Joe's common-law wife, otherwise known as uh, his business partner and co-founder of Video Helper. One more thing before we get going, my guests have allowed me to feature their music in this podcast, so we'll dispense with our usual bluesy fare, save for the Promo Cowboys theme, and we'll feature cuts from the Video Helper Library, starting with one of my old favorites from the early days. This is Natalie. Joe Saba and Stuart Winter first met a little over 20 years ago and formed an immediate partnership not to make music per se. As Stu tells it, it was to help him avoid a music lawsuit. I worked at ABC as a PA, as really inept PA, um, dropping tapes and missing air. And uh, long story short, part of my job was finding music, uh, but the music library at the time was one that dealt with records and CDs were a relatively new thing. And also the music wasn't coming out fast enough and people wanted stuff that sounded like stuff that was on TV. So I would go home at night, instead of going to the music library and searching fruitlessly, I would just write it on my shitty setup that I had in my apartment and sneak it in on a dat tape the next day. So you'd say, I found this really cool cut of music and let's put it on the next promo? Kind of. Turns out that's really highly illegal. So uh, basically my boss, Fred Olmsted, called me into his office and said, so you're going to bring in your friend who's writing all this music for you because if your friend doesn't show up, I'll have to fire you and everyone who's used the music because it's a conflict of interest. Wow. And it's going to be a bloodbath. So, of course, your friend is going to come in this week and introduce himself. So, Joe, you're the guy, you were the the beard, as it were, that he brought in to say this is the guy who's been writing the music. Yeah, I, I thought it was a total scam at first. To be clear, nobody was actually making any money the uh, student wasn't getting paid. There was no uh, paperwork being filled out. It was all it was all kind of off the grid. Yeah, I was just writing the music because I was just too damn lazy to go up to the music library, really. And I kind of thought it was fun, and it was just kind of a trip to hear my music on TV. I currently hold the record, by the way, for being fired by ABC 14 times. Beat that, motherfuckers. I worked for uh, ABC Interactive, and I was fired almost on a weekly basis. My boss was crazy. Okay. 
Okay, so you guys meet. You guys meet somewhere. Okay. What, would you say the West End Gate? Oh, I guess it was the West End Gate, right? It's still, it was yeah, still the, back then. It was the West End Gate. Yes. Yeah. Joe's band was playing, and um, then I met a woman that night, and I dated her, and I told her my story. She's like, "My roommate. He'd be perfect for this. He's a musician. He would love to talk to you. It sounds like you'd be into it." And wouldn't you know, it was Joe. I told him the problem. I said, "Look, just show up. Say you're writing the pieces, and I'll give you." Whatever, if I earn any money, you'll just own 50% of it. But, you know, that's the deal. You know, he's like, oh, can I put my music? You have to say you're writing my music. I'm like, like how am I going to get stabbed? It turns out, you know, I figured out he, he was actually trusting me a lot more than I was trusting him. And he said, well, I got one better. How about you let me write 50% of the music for 50% of the money? And I thought that was adorable. So I'm like, oh, yes, you're going to write music. Sure. And it turns out that he was far better of a musician than I was. So I put on a suit and a tie to go to the promo department because I figured it was the big leagues in television. And of course, I should wear a suit and a tie. And uh, so I came in and they're like, "Uh, are you Stu's friend? I was like, hi, yeah, I'm like, I don't care. You exist. Great. Get out of here. And uh, <laughs> that was that's how we started. So this is Fred Olmsted we're talking about. Yes. And Fred was supporting you even though he knew you were you were conflict of interest, uh, company policy. Yes. But um, in his defense, he really explained it to us. He actually, you know, was a very he was really good to me. He said, you know, you're a shitty PA, but your music is really good. And how would you like to quit? and do us all a favor and write music with Joe full time and start, you know, you, you guys should start a library and have ABC as your first client. So Video Helper was born. Okay, so Stuart Winter takes the risk of breaking ABC's company policy and the law in order to get discovered. Or maybe it was just to save a lot of boring time in the music library, which for a composer like Stu was probably a frustrating process. I mean, he knew he could do better. Reminds me of my time as a production assistant on this detective series called Spencer for Hire, which aired on ABC in the 1980s. I got pretty sick of the wooden scripting on the show, so I decided to write a script of my own. However, I did not become a successful Hollywood screenwriter. Meanwhile, Stuart Winter did become a successful composer of commercial music for television. First, though, he had to get over his childhood dream of becoming... You guessed it, a stand-up comedian. I was in high school and wanted to do stand-up, and there were open mic nights that the newspaper advertised, so my parents drove me out to do open mic nights. There's really nothing really cooler, I think, than having your parents drive you to an open mic night. And uh, I worked on Long Island at the place called the White House Inn, which is where a lot of uh, live writers would go and kind of try out material, and that's where Eddie Murphy got his start. And then from there, I went to Eastside Comedy. It's been a whole bunch of places in Long Island. But uh, the funnier thing is that my mom would play piano for some of them if the piano player couldn't handle it. She would back you up on the piano? Is that what you're saying? There would be singers also. Like at open mic nights, they would, have, they would try to intersperse singers between the bad comedians. And uh, my mom would step in if the piano player you know, who was there couldn't handle the music because she was a, a piano player. And one day... Uh, we were home and we got a phone call from one of the places 
my mom picks up the phone and it's like, hi, this is Dick Dixon from White House Inc. And, and as soon as my mom heard that, she's like, Stu, Stu, you got a job. And he's like, oh, hold on, hold on. I, I, I want to speak to you. Would you like to play piano professionally? Yeah, so my mom got a gig. Uh-huh. Um, but I did stand up in college and got paid for it and did in Boston, Manhattan. But the problem was, uh, as I'm pretty sure you've surmised by now, I'm not hilariously funny. Well, dude, you are you are funny on paper. You're funny in theory, which isn't the, that's good. You know, because we're common law spouses, one thing is uh, is Stu actually gets a, like a like a stand up pass. You know, the same way like your your spouse will give you a pass if Brad Pitt or whoever comes in. Stu gets a stand up pass. So if he ever has, <laughs> he's like, dude, I'm gone for like a week. I'm gonna go, you know, hit the comedy cellar or whatever. So. Oh, I thought you meant like if Elaine Boozler shows up, he's going to have sex with her and his wife's going to be okay with it. Yes. Whereas if Brad Pitt shows up, no, it doesn't happen that way. So, Joe, you, when you were younger, you were at Columbia, correct? I was, trying not to go to law school. Oh, really? Okay. Do you come from a family of lawyers? I do, but um, they were actually surprisingly encouraging of the music. And uh, so I, I did some summer at Berkeley College of Music in Boston and uh, well, I played in the signed band right out of college uh, until I got fired for not being cool enough. That's not humiliating in any way. Was the band, did they have a future ahead of them? The, as it turns out, no, but at the time we thought so. We did the video for MTV. We're on uh, 120 Minutes. and uh, oh, yeah. But the band was called Fabulon, so that should have been a, a hint. Here's a little taste of Joe's band Fabulon, their song I'm in a Mood. It, it was it was rock and roll. Were you wearing '80s hair or '90s hair? What was I? I actually had a French stylist, uh, Marie Paul, who took me around and bought me gold lame bell bottoms, and it was like a '90s. It was like the '90s revival of '70s glam kind of a thing. Were there sequins involved it's, anywhere? I have I have a sequin shirt. Excellent. It's kind of like George Michael meets T Rex. Next Halloween party, maybe you'll bust that out. Ah. Uh. George Michael. We hardly knew him. By the way, we recorded this interview before his untimely death. So Joe Saba gets booted from Fabulon, and Stu Winter gives up his dream of being the next Louis C.K. and making it as a producer for ABC. Only in New York would such hard luck stories lead to a partnership like Video Helper. And the timing couldn't have been better, given where the commercial music industry was headed. Joe explains it. We were praised, apparently, because we were one of the first people to put all as much music as possible on one CD. We had like 60 themes on a disc, um, and that was because we couldn't pay for the multiple pressings. We didn't have any money. <laughs> so we're like, let's just, let's just put as much of this on as one, you know, in one place as we possibly can. You know, it, was not a, it was not a strategy. It was just economics. And I came to know you guys uh, sometime around this time. This was mid-'90s. I was at NBC. And by then you had maybe three, maybe four discs, um, you know, and at that point I'm like, who are these guys? They're, they're cool. They're nice guys. They showed up with the music. They actually handed it to me. How were you guys figuring it all out? Once Stu left ABC and they, um, you know, they, they were really good about it. Um, we realized that, well, if we're going to be a business, we should probably have more than one client in case somebody changes their mind there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we thought NBC was 
uh, would be the next logical choice. And so we called the department and said, hi, we'd like to give you guys some music. Uh, can we have the names of your producers? And they said no. Oh. So we called up the next day and we said, hi, we'd like to invite all of your producers to a party. Can we have the names of your producers? And they said, yes. There you go. <laughs> yep. um, so we did both. They, yeah. they got the music and they got the party. So yes, uh, it, it worked out. That's a strategy. Have a party. That's like right out of Animal House. Yeah, it did, it did feel, you know, can we have 10,000 marbles, please? <laughs> it was actually also what did make us different. And I think this is out of necessity. When Joe and I started writing music, the reason we are still in business is because we approached it differently than everyone else. Because we, the only part of television we really knew was promos. And other people were doing stuff for long form. Get to the point very quickly, be editable, you know, don't fade out, don't change keys, don't change tempo, make it so it's editable and tells a story. And every story in a promo is basically building tension. It's building something and giving them a release point. And if you make that release point, something that's easily modular, as you said before, and editable, it made it a hell of a lot easier. So we were the only library for a very long time who kind of got this because we were the only people working in promos. We dug you guys at NBC. I was like, these guys are awesome. I love them. You know, we were like, how many cuts can we use in the course of a given, you know, season on Dateline? At that time, I mean, NBC was, was the only other promo department we had ever met. And you guys were great. Mm-hmm. You know, you and Miranda and Frank. Uh, Skip. Oh, uh, Skip, yeah. Carol. And um, Bill Hartnett. He loved music and he was always quick to tell us what he liked and didn't like. We didn't know if what we were doing actually resonated with anyone outside ABC. And NBC was even better than ABC. You guys were so good about welcoming us in and telling us what we were doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really a good experience. Yeah, we were great. You guys were all great mentors. I mean, we, we did, you know, I was 23 when we started. I didn't know anything. And everyone there was super smart and also willing to share, um, which, as we later learned, was not the case everywhere. Okay, I left NBC uh, around, I don't know, 2000, right at the beginning. And then uh, I was at CNBC for, for a short time, year and a half, and then I started working all over town and all, uh, you know, making occasional forays into other markets. And especially when I was at stations, I always found the Video Helper collection there. So I figured, oh, <clears throat> everybody must have caught on to Video Helper as well. And I don't know how you guys grew that quickly. Like, how did it happen? We handed our discs out at conventions, uh, for Promax specifically, where other companies had like a demo disc. We said, screw it, we couldn't actually afford to press a demo disc. So we just handed our discs out with, you know, we weren't worried about people using, if we thought if people had them in their hands, they wouldn't understand what we were going for. You've been doing this 20 years or so now? Yeah, actually we're, we're approaching our 21st year, which is, it's, we can't believe we've been doing this 21 years. How many employees uh, and or partners do you guys currently have? Counting us, 13 full-timers. So of those 13, you're saying everybody is a composer? Oh, no. Sorry. It's broken up about half. We have six composers and six people to handle licensing, uh, et cetera, and uh, probably one person to, uh, to to supply by bad math. because <laughs> Probably seven in the front to do uh, the licensing and six to compose. And how many cuts these days are you licensing per year? Somewhere between 150,000 and a trillion. Um, (laughs) We're hoping it's closer to a trillion. (laughs) Um, So we're really not sure where we're showing up uh, during the day. And 
you know, there are, there are blanket licenses that use us like 50,000 times a year. And also we don't get sometimes licenses for the music we're used in till six months later. Well, talk to me about liner notes. That's, so that, that's all Stu, so your uh, listeners can't see me pointing my finger. Joe's, Joe's being modest. Joe's written a good percentage of them. So the copy for the disc works like this. I'll go to a Starbucks, and I will over-caffeinate myself, and I'll write a whole bunch of really offensive descriptions. You know, we've written over 7,000 descriptions now, and there's only so many jokes, you know, you can make about fisting or, you know, raping a gopher. Like, it gets to the point where you're trying to just be, you're trying to, you know, take people out of their 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 comas, you know, sitting in a production room. You want to shock them to laughing. We were writing copy, uh, Joe and I, for our first couple of discs, and we made a joke about um, Tito Puente's mother. Like, it sounded like some drums if Tito Puente's mother fell down a flight of stairs or whatever. <laughs> And that just became a running gag. And then we started a whole bunch of running gags. Then we started making fun of Tracy Gordon, who was my my first girlfriend in high school. Okay, the following video helper liner notes are from their cut, Urban Studies, from VH number 59. You're listening to it now. A hip-hop slow jam that suggests sex, sensual nightlife, and expensive lifestyles that even casually listening to has me worrying about erectile dysfunction and wondering if I use the phrase slow jam correctly. The sampled male-female vocals remind the listener of entering a slow, romantic, sexual interlude, or in my case, reminding all of us that many, many people entered my high school girlfriend, Tracy Gordon start making Tracy Gordon jokes. Like, uh, I'd be in so many spots, just like Tracy Gordon has slept with every um, Dallas Cowboy and uh, Denver Bronco. And sadly, we're not talking about the football teams. But, you know, as I guess the company has matured, I'm using air quotes, uh, we've tried to actually be a little more erudite and that is a pain they ass to produce. I'd rather just go back to Fist and Gophers. Listen to all of season one of the Promo Cowboys podcast at iTunes, including my conversation with legendary promo and commercial voice artist, Ralph Gunderman. Back in the 80s, I had for two or three years the Mercedes-Benz account. And uh, in the same agency, TRH, was a guy named Ed Gasper who had the Chevy account. And the joke was, with the Chevy account, you could buy a Mercedes. With the Mercedes account, you could buy a Chevy. There's prestige, and then there's money. Now back to my conversation with Video Helper. Here's Joe Saba on the transition to digital. The transition to digital, it was, it was gradual, and a lot of people told us, no, we don't want any CDs. And then there were lots of other people who were holed up in their edit rooms, and they were, they were banned from connecting to the Internet for security or other reasons. Uh, and so they still needed the discs. And there are still some people to whom we'll send, uh, you know, DVDs with updates. But one of the things we realized during the transition is, you know, people aren't going to be sitting there reading the liner notes. They're going to go to a search engine and type stuff in. And so we tried to figure out, and we, we are still doing this. We want to have always, we're always figuring out how people can get to the music as, as quickly and efficiently as possible. Uh, that, that they're, if they type something in, it actually brings up something that, 
make sense or is what they're thinking. It's intuitive. And that's the idea, at least. And that's where the descriptions actually ended up being a, a competitive advantage, weirdly, because we had spent all this time describing the music and the kinds of things it would be useful for. People could put in, you could search for blowing shit up and like you'll get results. Um, Can I search and, for Tracy Goldman and get a bunch of hits? Is that it? Yeah. Tracy Gordon. Yep. Uh-huh. Tracy yeah. Gordon. Can I search yeah. for Tracy Gordon? Um, oh, you should. Yeah. T-R-A-C-I-I. Yeah, we had to spell it differently because she was, uh, she threatened to sue us because every time she looked for a job, they're like, yes, but apparently like you blew the state of Colorado. So yeah, we had to actually change that. Needless to say, I think that relationship might be dead. Um, no, she was at the last couple of video helper parties, so, <laughs> so we're not kidding. Wow. You get a, we, we, what we thought was a joke phone call one day. Tracy Gordon, line two. We're like, ha ha, you know, someone's busting our chops. It was her. And how do you, do you literally split the workflow as partners or do you just each go off and write your own music and then? We tried once. Once, in 1996, I remember the year, to write something together, collaboratively. It was it was a disaster. <laughs> we were like, no, play, no, okay, take your hand. And we're like, shit, just, it was. <laughs> so even though all of the titles say, you know, my name and Stu's name, they are written 100% by either one of us with absolutely, with almost no input from the other. Yeah, we'll each, at the end, we'll, we'll come in and say, hey, does this sound good? Does this, does this tell the right story? We're, we kind of produce each other that way. Joe writes a song and he'll write the entire 30 seconds in one sitting where I write two, four measures at a time. And at the end of that four measures, then I get bored and then do something else. So it's, we, Joe is more song oriented. I think I'm a little more sound design oriented. I mean, we just write stupid music for TV shows. There literally are close to 750 other companies doing what we do. Yeah. And everyone is trying to write what they hear on television. And what we strove to do from the beginning and still do even more so now, try to write stuff that nobody else is doing. And we expect, and this is a mark of success, if everybody uses us, we failed. And if nobody uses us, we failed. Either people love our stuff or they really hate us. That's a mark of success for us. I have yet to hear or meet anybody that hates you guys. Oh, we could show you some letters. We've gotten some hate mail. Are they from like GMs or, or news directors or like, I just don't get you guys. And frankly, yes, we've gotten you guys have a sophomore sense of humor. Your music is, you know, it's just, it's unusable. Uh, but that's, that's good. That makes us feel that we're doing something right. You guys have a CEO or a president or something? Uh, in, in theory, nice. Joe, yeah, Joe and I are basically co-founders. And when we when we incorporated, I became CEO because I, Joe let me be CEO and Joe is president. But we are equal partners. Through, like We both have 50% of the company. We both make an equal amount of the decisions. And we have to you know agree on everything. I mean, we don't always agree, but we have to ultimately agree. So this isn't like a uh, Silicon Valley kind of situation where you've got, uh, you know, market cap backing you guys and some, you know, head that's been placed to to oversee what you guys are doing and be your babysitter. Nothing like that. No, I mean, we, we were really lucky in that we were we both of us worked two jobs while we started the thing, but we didn't have any venture backing. We didn't have any, you know, private equity. We weren't um, we just, you know, we just kind of made it up as we went along. And that allowed us 
the goal of this was never to scale. The goal of this was never to make a company as big as a company could be just for the sake of it. It was always to do interesting work, to be around people we like, um, to make creative contributions. And if you wake up every day feeling like you're able to go in the work, be around people you like and make a meaningful contribution, you know, and make a living, like what else, you know, what else do you want? The business itself has changed so dramatically in the last five years that it's almost like it's a new job. Yeah. And that's exciting. There's new creative challenges. There's new technology challenges. And because uh, we don't have anybody above us, we have to still make up the shit as we, you know, as we go along. Uh, and that's what keeps it interesting. You guys are moving into feature films and, and games and stuff like that. We do a lot of trailers. That's been a lot of fun. Uh, a few years ago, we released a series that we continue we'll continue to release a series called Modules, which we call Narrative Sound Design. I'm somewhat familiar with Modules, yeah. Um, and so that that's actually been picked up by the trailer community. And um, basically, it's using sounds that function as music. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like music concrete if you want to be you know, pretentious about it, uh, or it's just like, a, you know, multiple dumpster fires that tell a story. The, the modules thing is kind of cool because um, it gave us an opportunity to stretch, to really push, like we just did one that only uses voices. So then we would take a, a one word and build an entire piece around that one word. And at first we thought like, ah, oh, this is kind of like, you know, a little masturbatory. The only people we thought we would like it was us. But uh, what turned out is actually it turned out to be a big hit. It was Joe's idea. And I was, I poo-pooed it. I'm like, eh, it's going to be kind of stupid. But it was great. It turned out that a lot of film trailers were using these things and not even the stuff based around the words, but because that word was the, the catalyst, it gave a whole new direction to the composers creatively. It was fun. Mm. Like, we like doing that. We like giving ourselves kind of a, an assignment. That's kind of like what this podcast is. And you know what? If you can get a Neil drop fee out of it, then, then it's making you money. Bingo. So uh, do you guys have a frontier you're after? What, what's next? I want to direct. <laughs> um, I want to do stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> so that means in 10 years, we'll both be doing topless dancing. Um, it's funny. The next frontier for most companies is to become like to conquer the world and to be everywhere. We want to keep pushing the envelope creatively, and that's really what we like. For example, um, the only new products we come out with are stuff that either we haven't done or that we don't think other people have done well enough. So, like we came out with this, like we came out uh, with uh, uh, what's that called? Oh, Colossal. Colossal, right? I know the name of our own products. <laughs> uh, and Colossal was basically the Bugs Bunny versions of a lot of the, the, the kind of the iconic classical pieces like Beethoven's Fifth and we made them larger than life and that's how we treated it and then we then took those larger than life things and then we had people remix them so that those remixes actually stood on their own and it was it was fun it was what we got to work with an orchestra um, uh, of the Czech Republic and they were great to work with we did it by Skype it's not the first time we worked with an orchestra but it was the most successful because uh, about eight years ago, we went to the Czech Republic to record an orchestra, but we specifically had them do stuff that orchestras normally don't do. Like, as they're playing, we wanted them to detune their instruments, did this whole bunch of sound designing stuff with an orchestra. And after the end of a six-hour session, a good percentage of them walked out on us. 
Yeah. Yeah. Actually, before the end of the six-hour session, which was a problem. The harpist suddenly developed Tyrannosaurus-sized hands and was unable to play her instrument. Um. <laughs> so it wasn't to leave and go have a, you know, a Pilsner or Quell at the local? No, it was to go to their local and complain to their union about us. We just came out with something called Carbon. It's created to fit kind of the, um, just the new video formats that everyone is, is now has to make, like the sponsored content and the branding stuff and the mini docs and the, just everything that's happening now. And philosophically it was interesting because a lot of our, when we started in the business, the goal was to get somebody's attention, to keep and, and hold them there while you delivered your message. And so our music was designed to do that. Um, and so that, that led to a certain number of creative decisions. With Carmen, instead of needing to beat somebody over the head or, or grab them with an arresting sound and pull them into your environment, they're already looking at the screen, they're already kind of engaged. And so our goal was to kind of more captivate them, um, to pull them in, because instead of hearing a speaker in a big room, you're sitting and it's almost almost always solitary. Mm -hmm. And so you want to you want to draw them in rather than uh, you know, grab them with a hook. Um, they sound more song-like, but they have all of our, all of our basic functions. They have they all have to tell a story. They all have to be easy easily edited. They're all modular. They all have different sections that allow producers to pull uh, different pieces in and out to fit their their own copy and their own story. Um, but they're not as bombastic as some of our uh, you know broadcast stuff. Yeah, I was thinking they'd be more spare. Yep. If you listen to our first eight discs, they're very different than the the ones we have now. So it was, it was a surprise that that actually went over as well as it did. You may have noticed one or two references to Video Helper's various parties, which are can't-miss events around Promax, Halloween, and or the holidays. As my madman father would say, if you're in North America, don't miss the next Video Helper party. Talk about a successful partnership born out of failure. Two pretty humble guys you can't help but root for. It's, it's a good it's a good ego boost that actually someone would actually care what we had to say. And, and the story is kind of funny. It's a great story. And everybody still wants to come to your party. So, you know, I can't wait to see you guys again whenever the next one is. That'll be, it'll be like the canary in the coal mine, right? If nobody comes to the party. Right. And, uh, it's, uh, our motto is it going out of business for 21 years. Video helper. <laughs> this is Barry Fitzsimmons thanking you for listening. As always, this promo Cowboys podcast is brought to you by bourbon, beer, and bar pretzels, and by the novel Promo Cowboy, a TV industry thriller by yours truly, Barry Fitzsimmons, available in soft cover at Amazon.com and your finer bookstores, and find the ebook at the Amazon Kindle store. I want to thank my guests today, Joe Saba and Stuart Winter of Video Helper. Check out their extensive commercial music collection online at videohelper.com. Tracks we use today include Natalie, Wild Romp, Inciting Excitement, Raw Ramblin', This Is Going To Be Huge, Night Sweats, Swinging Maxi Beats, Boss Tone, Last Night Forever, Cuban Samba, Urban Studies, Butnik Keg Party, Drink Responsibly, Lights Up, Relax or Die, Vitreous Vox, Hunted, Valkyrie Cowboys, and How Does It Make You Feel? Also, thanks to Fabulon for letting us use their track In A Mood, and to Holly Hall for composing the Promo Cowboys theme, Six String Rag. Please rate this podcast at iTunes. Subscribe and share on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And don't forget to check out my Promo Cowboys Facebook page. Reach me, as always, on Twitter at Promo Cowboy, also on Facebook and LinkedIn at Barry Fitzsimmons. 
Promo Cowboys is a Steve production. Steve is a division of Igloo Media, LLC. This podcast was edited and produced by Barry Fitzsimmons. Thanks again for joining me as Promo Cowboy says, Shoot, ain't he gonna say nothing about having a happy new year? Just saying. Take us out. <laughs> <laughs>